0: Well, good morning again, Community Church. It is great to see you all this morning. So glad you could be here with us to worship, to enjoy communion as well. And so uh, thank you. It's just always good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. It's good to see you. I hope you had a great week. Got a little snow this past week. Uh, I could use about one more of those and then I'm ready for spring. I I don't know about you. But uh, anyway, a few weeks ago, before the Christmas season began, we paused our study here in the book of Acts After we looked at Acts chapter two, verses one through 13, that's where we left off in a message that we called the day the church began. Now, this was the day that the Holy Spirit had come and empowered his people, meaning his disciples and the rest of the about 120 or so people who had been there waiting and praying. And then the Holy Spirit empowered them to something very specific to speak the wonderful works of God. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 11. And they did so in various languages, as you remember, right? That they previously did not speak. They didn't even know how to speak them. But they spoke these languages fluently, articulately to a people group who understood them in their own native tongue. Quite a miracle, really, quite a miracle. This was, as you remember us talking through this, this was when the day of Pentecost had fully come. The word of God says in Acts chapter two, verse one, which, of course, brought this feast of Pentecost that had been celebrated throughout history to its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, as he gave birth now to the church through the power of his spirit. And so this morning, as we pick back up in our study through the book of Acts, we're going to see the result of the Holy Spirit's power here on one disciple in particular, namely Peter, who had recently been restored to ministry. Peter's now going to do something very amazing, very courageous. He's going to stand up. He's going to stand up alongside the other 11 disciples, and then he's going to raise his voice. And he's going to preach one of the greatest sermons of all time, no doubt about it. In fact, this was the very first sermon ever preached in the church at all. And so we're going to take this sermon in two parts. Today we're going to look at the first part, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. And then, Lord willing, next week we're going to look at verses 22 through 36. But there is a massive amount of information that can be taken from Peter's message, and not just theologically, by the way. Okay, we could take a ton of stuff from his message, sort of homiletically, if you will, which that's just a 10-cent word that means the art of preaching. It's how we preach. It's the study of preaching. And so preachers like me, we can learn a lot from this message from Peter for sure. Now, we're going to not be covering that side of it as much, right? We're not going to worry too much about that because not many of you are teachers. Not many of you are preachers, right? That's a good thing, according to James chapter 3, verse 1, because teachers, preachers, we will be judged more harshly. And so what we're going to do is rather than look on the how to preach side of this message, we're going to look and focus more on the interpretation of the passage and then the application of Peter's message. I think that'll be more beneficial if we take that approach here. Now, as I look around the room this morning, I I see there's a couple of other preachers in the room this morning, and so I want to ask you guys a question, okay? You don't have to answer this out loud, but if you are a preacher or if you have ever preached, do you remember your first sermon? Do you remember that? Was it awesome? I mean, are people still quoting it? (laughs) Was it really good? I'm still trying to forget mine, my first sermon, right? There's a story. This is Peter's first sermon, right? This is the first sermon in the church, and it's amazing, We look back at our first sermons and it's like, "Mm." but Spurgeon, many of you know Charles Spurgeon, right? He had a preacher's college. Okay. And so R. Kent Hughes tells a story of um, sort of how they did things at Spurgeon's preacher's college, right? So what, what they would do is his board of directors or his other uh, men around him would often just look at the group of preachers in front of them, choose a topic, give a topic to that preacher and say, preach on it. And so I'm thankful to not be among those men, right, this morning. But one day, one student walks into the room. Spurgeon and his men say, all right, your topic is Zacchaeus. Preach on that. So the young preacher boy stood up and he said, Zacchaeus was little of stature. So am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree. So am I. (laughs) Zacchaeus came down and so will I and he went and sat down (laughs) I was like amen yeah that's probably one of the better sermons they heard that week but Peter's now restored and he preaches an amazing first sermon maybe his best ever maybe second best only to the sermons that we see preached by the Lord Jesus Christ but what made it so great is that it was very simple And it was also entirely saturated with the word of God. And most importantly, this this message from Peter is absolutely Christ-centered. We see this in verses 22 and 23 and 36. So it's Christ-centered. I remember when I was on staff at Shoreline Community Church in Oregon, I was the associate pastor there, and I put a reminder on my screensaver on my desktop that read, Is this message Christ-centered? Question mark. Because every time I sat down at my desk, I wanted that reminder of, is this message I'm about to preach Christ-centered? Because what else is worth preaching other than Christ? And of course, Peter shows us exactly how this is done. And then at the end of his message, he makes a call to repent. And the response is incredible. And we'll get into that in the coming weeks. But this is, again, one of the reasons why we have a time of response here after the message, this call to repentance, if you will. But remember, Peter spoke to a group of people who understood him. He was speaking directly here to the Jewish people, and he spoke to them in his native tongue, which was likely Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke as well. But he said this in verse 14, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem. In verse 22, he said, men of Israel, men and brethren, verse 29, all of the house of Israel, verse 36. And so what we see here is that the early church was 100% Jewish, wasn't it? The early church was Jewish because it was also born in Jerusalem. I mean, Christianity finds its heritage among the Jewish people. We don't see Gentile conversions until many years later. We're not going to be studying that until we get to Acts chapter 10, when God gave a vision to a man by the name of Cornelius. And so Christianity's Jewish roots run very, very deep. And it started right here in the Jewish capital. And I like this because this is the very place where the old covenant said, come here to worship right in the old covenant. Jewish people come to Jerusalem to worship, come here. That's John chapter four, verse 20. But the new covenant now says we're going to start here and go out from here. I love that. We see the change. Acts chapter one, verse eight. William MacDonald said at Caesarea Philippi, the Lord had promised to give Peter the keys of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. But here in Acts chapter 2, we see him using the keys to open the door to the Jews. As later in chapter 10, he will open it to the Gentiles. Exactly right. That's well said. But what we see here is that the Holy Spirit of God fills his people for his purpose. And so he gives whatever ability we need to reach whomever it is that we need to reach. That's the point. And on top of that, he gives us the courage to, to do that. Remember, Peter had just denied Christ 3 times in the courtyard of the high priest. That's Luke chapter 22, 54 through 62. I mean, all Peter wanted to do was just sit down by the fire and blend in with the crowd, right? Likely, it was his Galilean accent that gave him away, however. We read that in Luke 22:59. But after all of that, Christ had restored Peter to ministry. And now that the Holy Spirit had filled him with his very presence, Peter does something amazing. He stands up. He was sitting down in the crowd. Now he stands up in front of the crowd, possibly among some of the same people who he had earlier denied Christ in front of. And then he raised his voice. He was no longer quiet. He wanted to sit and blend in. now he stands up and raises his voice to share Christ with that crowd. Guys, here's the deal. Sometimes God gives us the ability to speak in other languages. Yes. However, other times he gives us the courage to speak in our own language. And I think some of us, certainly me, could use some of that this morning. Let's pray and we'll get into the text. Thank you, Lord. We are grateful for the day you've given to us. We're grateful for the word that is before us. We're trusting in the strength and the power and the wisdom of your spirit to guide us into all truth this morning. Please prevent me from saying anything untrue or unworthy of being heard. If I do, Lord, please strike that from our memory quickly. We only want to hear from you. We only want to hear the truth of the scriptures so that we might become different because of that. So help us to hear the truth this morning. Guide us, Lord, into all truth, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start reading in verse 14 down through verse 21. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Verse 19, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Quite an incredible start here to Peter's amazing sermon. So let's just jump right into it. We're going to go verse by verse, starting in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. So notice here, I want to notice, Right away, there's no more mention of people speaking in tongues at this point, is there? They had been. Now, maybe not. Peter's addressing a specific people group here. He's speaking directly to the Jewish people who understood him very clearly. But when Peter stood up to preach, those who were speaking in tongues seemed to have stopped. Folks were speaking about the wonderful works of God. That's good. And they were doing so in different languages that were understood. That's good, verse 11. But now Peter stands up to preach the word of God and the tongues stop. Interesting. Here's what I think. I think that this speaks to the authority of God's word. That's what I'm thinking here, right? Because the gifts of the spirit always complement one another. In other words, they never compete against one another right no they're always subject to the authority of god's word and its proclamation yes the gift of tongues is a legitimate gift absolutely but one thing we need to know about it is that it is a lesser gift first corinthians chapter 12 verse 28 but now the holy spirit begins to work through peter personally in the preaching of his word very important You know, Peter was a leader. We've talked about that before. He didn't always lead well, but he was a leader. No doubt about that. He led, and it takes a lot of courage to lead. It takes a lot of faith to be a leader and to do that well according to the will of God. And so Peter, now I really believe, is both a man of faith. I believe Peter is a man of courage. Yes, but Peter doesn't get all of the credit here because look what what happens. He also stood up with other people. The Bible says he stood up with them, the other 11, right? So Peter stood up, yes, but among his peers, all of them stood, the disciples, the other leaders stood up, but then Peter raised his voice up above all of them. So we can learn something here, can't we? As believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need brothers and sisters who will stand with us who will stand up with us, who are fully committed to the cause of Christ and who are fully unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need people who are willing to stand up and proclaim the truth with us regardless of the consequences, don't we? I wonder how often the church has sat silent when we should have stood up together and raised our collective voice together. Let me make it a little more personal. I wonder how often I sit silent myself. How often do I sit silent instead of standing up and raising my voice, will I be willing to stand up if I'm the only one to stand up? Our country could use a bold, very clear voice of truth right about now. I'm sure you're aware. One that's not rooted in partisan politics, one that's not rooted in anything else other than biblical authority. We need that kind of voice. So you know what? Maybe we can be that voice. Maybe we can stand up together and raise our voice according to the scriptures, right? Just a thought. Maybe the Lord would use us to do that. But Peter now, he's faithful. He's a follower of Christ. God is using him. He stands up with his brothers. He raises his voice. That's very important. I like what G. Campbell Morgan said here. He said, the voice must reach the listener who is furthest away. That's absolutely right. Amen. Believers speak up. We should speak up, right? We're not just always trying to be the rock in the shoe, the one who's contentious or whatever. No, but we speak the truth loud enough to be heard. We should speak up because the gospel is also for those in the back. No doubt. We're talking about this in our men's group on Monday nights as we're talking about grace. We've talked about how grace, the Lord in his just amazing grace can reach those that we think are the least likely to ever come to Christ. You know, grace actually reaches that far, reaches those people that we don't ever think have an opportunity or a chance of ever coming to Christ. I was one of them. I had a friend tell me after coming to Christ, out of all of our friend group, you are the last one that I thought would come to Christ. I can relate to this. The gospel is for those in the back for those that we think might be least likely to receive it. So have I raised my voice to those around me? Have I proclaimed this gospel truth to my family and to my friends? Am I a herald of the gospel? I love that word, herald. It means to boldly proclaim the message, right? I remember Adrian Rogers. He was a herald of the gospel, right? There's other preachers who are heralds of the gospel, right? I love that word because it tells me that I need to boldly proclaim the truth of God, not just simply hide from opportunities, as a messenger of Christ. No, I've been sent, so I must go. Let's never forget, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. But I like what Peter says here. He says, let this be known to you, very specific. Okay, not just anything, but this, not just to anyone, but to you, right? It's important that we speak the truth to people, not toward them generally, right? But to them specifically, Okay. It's the difference of me saying Jesus saves and are you saved? Right. So we need to speak to them very directly, very personally. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, heed my words. I love that. Don't just listen. Don't, don't just understand, but actually heed the truth that I'm speaking to you. We've talked a lot about this biblical truth here that pops up everywhere in the scriptures, but Peter is expressing it here. And so Here's the application. Peter is saying, look, I don't want you to just understand the truth. I don't want you to just understand what I'm saying. I want you to actually live out what you do understand about the truth. That's the point Peter's making. In other words, do what the word of God says. Do what you say you believe, right? Take the word of God you hear into your heart and now live differently because of that. That should be the result Of understanding the Word of God. We should embrace that truth. Many people know God's Word. Who better than Satan himself? Who better than the demons? They know God's Word. They know it better than you and I do, right? But far fewer people actually heed the Word of God, myself included. We're all guilty of not heeding the Word of God like we should. So we're talking about the difference here between Hearing and actually listening, which could result in, by the way, if you're not in Christ, if you are someone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, if you only hear but don't listen, it could be the difference between heaven and hell. Eternity is at stake here, isn't it? Listening is a clearer path to obedience. If I don't just hear but I listen, that gives me a much clearer path to obedience than simply hearing i mean yes faith comes by hearing but heeding is akin to listening taking that truth to my heart so that it changes how i live now let me illustrate it like this i've been told okay this is just what i've heard that there are actually men out there who can hear their wife but not actually listen to them okay foreign concept to me i don't know anything about that <laughs> I don't understand it. But apparently some of you men have that ability. Can you believe that? To hear her and not understand. You know what I'm talking about. Right, so let's be careful. Are we listening to the Lord? Verse 15. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Right, so here Peter answers the question that was posed back in verse 12. The question was this. Whatever could this mean? So Peter starts addressing this. In other words, these people were wondering... What are we to make of all these things that we're seeing, that we're hearing this morning? I mean, some were even saying that these disciples were drunk. You will remember the false accusation from verse 13 from those who were mockers, right? These guys are full of new wine. In other words, they're drunk on the good stuff and it's early in the morning. But Peter is saying, no, no, no. That's not the case at all. Look, guys, it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, okay? And so nobody's drunk here right all these people from all over the place are hearing us speak in their own language verse 11 guys drunk people are never even coherent much less articulate are they and furthermore on these feast days the jewish feast days it was very customary for jews to not drink or eat anything until 10 a.m and sometimes even noon and so this accusation here from the jewish crowd it falls very short God's people were not drunk at all. And I want you to please hear this. They didn't even appear to be drunk. They weren't, quote, acting drunk. That was a false accusation. That was from the mockers. So the truth is here, people who don't want to actually hear the truth are not going to hear the truth. They're going to hear and see what they want to hear and see. They'll do whatever is necessary to try and refute that truth. And so they get a false accusation thrown their way. Verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's saying these people are not drunk. Here's what's happening. Peter's letting them know exactly what they're seeing and what they're hearing right now in front of their eyes. And it's something that, by the way, they should have known was coming had they known their own scriptures. I mean, prophecy is being fulfilled in real time right now, in their lifetime at that very moment. But I love this. I love what Peter does. Right there in the midst of their amazement, right there in the midst of their confusion, what does Peter do? He stands up, raises his voice, and gives them Bible. He gives them scripture. He says, Here is what the word of God says. And by the way, Peter had exactly no time to prepare this message, it was spirit led. But this tells us something else about Peter, doesn't it? It tells us that he was already a man of the word. He already had the Bible in him. He knew the scriptures, right? And so when the Holy Spirit came and said, stand up and preach, Peter was ready. He was ready. The Spirit of God led Peter to the word of God that Peter had already hidden in his heart. I love that. How ready am I to share God's Word with other people. It's not hard to imagine how easily this world's going to discount the rapture of the church due to their own ignorance of of the scriptures, right? When Christ takes his church home, prophecy is going to be dismissed by the masses, just like it was on the day of Pentecost when the church began. And so you and I, we have this responsibility to get the truth out, to get the Word of God out to the masses right now, while there is time right? While we can speak truth. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So we're learning something about the last days here. Peter says that the prophet Joel, he's quoting from Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32 here, but he says, Joel wrote this. He said that God's going to pour out of his spirit on all flesh. What does that mean? Out of his spirit. Well, that just means that the outpouring will be of the spirit. It doesn't mean he's going to pour out a little bit of spirit and here and there. No, it's the outpouring will be from the spirit of God. That's what that means. And this is happening at Pentecost. And so as Peter uh, intimates here, Y'all, that's what you're seeing. This is what you're looking at. This is what you're hearing. And so what does that tell us? It tells you and it tells me that we can know with complete certainty that we are living in the last days. We are living in the last days because when God poured out of his spirit on his people initially, it came to pass when? In the last days. We're still here, right? Peter's speaking to the Jews, of course, right? So let's not lose context We don't want to get out of the context of what Peter's saying. And so what that tells us is that the ultimate fulfillment here of this prophecy is going to come during the millennial reign of Christ on earth after the tribulation. However, it is perfectly applicable to us today, just like all scripture is. And so as we think of this prophecy, you could say dispensationally, you could say seasonally, meaning as it relates to different periods of time throughout history, (laughs) then I think we can look at it like this by way of application and say, the church age began at Pentecost. It continues today, and it's going to end when Christ calls his church home. So you and I live in this dispensation or period of time called the age of grace or the church age, right? Campbell Morgan described it in terms of one physical day. And I like how he describes this. He says, the church began at dawn, That's Pentecost. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. That's right, verse 17. We live right now during the daytime, the daylight hours. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. This is what's going to happen during the daytime, during our time. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Notice all the promises. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy promise after promise after promise, gift after gift. That's verse 17 and 19. And then finally, when the day is done, at the end of the last days, darkness will come. And that will be in the great and awesome day of the Lord that we see in verses 19 and 20. I hope all this is making sense uh, for you this morning. But I want you to understand this. The last days do not have a number on them, right? That we know anyway. Of course, the father knows. But they don't have a number on them, but they do have a way about them. And that's something that should perk our ears up. Certain things are gonna be happening during the last days, during the time that you and I live. I want you to listen to what the prophets had to say about this time in which God will pour out his spirit. Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Ezekiel said it like this, Ezekiel 39, 29. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out of my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Zechariah, he said it like this in Zechariah 12, 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then, notice this, then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his holy son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Amen. Guys, this is going to happen soon. It's happening here in the text in a partial fulfillment of prophecy, okay? but it will happen at the end of the age in a final fulfillment of this prophecy during the millennial reign of Christ. Here's what Jesus said. He said this, I wanna preface this, what I'm about to read you from Jesus, his words, he said this in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? This is the final feast in the fall. It's at harvest time. It reminds all of the people about the booths or the temporary tabernacles or dwellings that they all had to set up as they wandered around for 40 years. All right, so it's during this time. And so they've adopted another custom at this time. uh, Jesus said this, they come to the temple to worship, but what they do is they come and pour out water from the pool of Siloam as a symbol for their prayers for a winter rain. Okay, so that's the context. They're at the Feast of Tabernacles. They're gathering water from the pool of Siloam. And in the midst of that, Jesus says this, John 7, 37 and 38. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Amen. But wait just a minute, okay? Because listen to what happens in verse 39 of John 7. But this, he, meaning Jesus, spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Christ was not yet glorified. Jesus is prophesying about what Peter is preaching. So Peter now stands up in this Jewish crowd and says, Jesus Christ is your Messiah. That's what he's telling them. He's saying he has now been glorified, right? The Holy Spirit has now been given to you. So Peter is saying, look, y'all, this miracle that you're looking at, this miracle that you hear and see, it's pointing you straight to Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what's going on here. So come and drink. Anyone can come and drink. Anyone who thirsts can come right then peter continues quoting from joel's prophecy by saying your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams all of this is going to be happening during the last days during the time that we live in now Some people tend to get a little uneasy when we start talking about the sign gifts of the spirit, right? Things like tongues and visions, dreams and prophecy. And look, I get it. I get that. But I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the uneasiness that sometimes comes upon us when we think about these gifts. And I think that might I think people get confused. I think people get a little uneasy about these gifts simply because they have been so misused. And if I were to take it a step further, they have been so perverted in Western Christianity, okay? In America, there are churches out there, I'm sure some of you are aware, that teach people that you can actually be, quote, drunk in the spirit. What? They teach that you can be slain in the spirit. What is that? In these churches, you're going to see uncontrollable laughter. You're going to see people... Flopping around and twitching on the ground and gyrating all over the place. I've been in some of those churches. Yeah, it made me uncomfortable. Why? Because it's not Bible. That's why the gifts were being misused. They were being misrepresented. Listen to this. If you don't hear anything else, this is the old preacher line. Please hear this. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Galatians chapter 5 verse 23. It is never out of control. Ever. God is a God of order. God is not the author of confusion whatsoever, right? And furthermore, according to the scriptures, listen to this, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, which is to say that the prophet himself is in control of his prophetic gift. He can control that, okay? Just like every believer is in control of their spiritual gift. Think of it that way. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen anybody drunk on evangelism? You ever see somebody in a fit of uncontrollable witnessing? Probably not, have you? I don't think so. They may have the gift of evangelism. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a legitimate gift. But they control when and how they use that gift, don't they? The same is true with every gift of the Spirit, as far as I can tell from Scripture, okay? So let's be careful with that. But here's, here's the flip side of this. Let's not let the pendulum swing too far. We talk about this in our men's study a lot. Let's not go crazy and say there's no such thing as sign gifts, that they're not valid today, that would be taking it too far. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. It's easy to tell. It's very easy to tell whether or not somebody has a legitimate sign gift. The Bible gives us some very clear ways to check this out to see whether or not it's true. For example, the gift of tongues. If we're talking about tongues and when they are used in public, the Bible says that there will be an interpreter. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 Uh, verse 27. In fact, Paul says this, you almost never hear this verse quoted, but he says, Paul says, pray that even the one who speaks in a tongue, even that person will be able to interpret. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13. And furthermore, the gift of tongues is a gift for unbelievers. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 22. It is not a gift for believers. And so in the situations that I've been in, and, and you know, I've had opportunities to minister musically in several different kinds of churches, and so sometimes when something like this breaks out and somebody goes into speaking in tongues or whatnot, uh, the first thing I notice is it's not a legit language. You can, you can hear the articulation in language even if you don't understand it. Most of them just sound like they're talking with their mouth full. And the second thing I've noticed is that the interpretation is rarely talking about the wonderful works of God, it's almost always prophetic. The Lord saith, and it's always King James, right? Because that's only how the Lord listens is in King James. The Lord saith this about thou and whatnot. And you're like, come on, man. Tongues are not for that. That's not what the Bible says about tongues. I mean, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Okay, I believe you're saved. I just think you don't have control of the gift that God, you're out of control. You're not practicing self-control, right? And so we have to be careful here. Tongues are not prophecy. They're to speak the wonderful works of God. And so when someone speaks in public in a tongue, according to Acts chapter two, verse 11, they will be speaking, speaking something specifically, the wonderful works of God. That's what they'll be saying, right? They're not gonna be prophesying. You know why? Because prophecy is for believers. Did you know that? That's 1 Corinthians 14, 22. And so the best way that you can tell something about prophecy, this one's easy, isn't it? This is why we trust our Bible, because what the Bible has said and prophesied comes through 100% of the time. It's never been wrong, right? So therefore we're like, okay, yeah, that prophecy is true. So how do you tell a false prophet if the prophecy does not come true, right? And I have experience with this as well. It's easy to tell, right? If it is, Is this prophecy... Has it come true? Here's another way. Is it contrary to the word of God? Jude 11. There's many other scriptures we could could say here, but is it used for personal gain? That's another way to tell a false prophet. If someone's out there using that as personal gain, hmm, false prophet, not good. There was a lady in a church I served uh, for many years. We had gotten to the point where we were in a small building. We had our own place, but we were looking to expand We go out uh, to look at this property that we were going to purchase. And the lady was was standing next to me, a dear sister. I love her. Uh, She said, she looked at me and said, the Lord told me he's going to give us that land. And I was like, all right, see about that. I mean, I hope he does. You know, we'll see. Guess what happened? We did not get the land. Guys, we have to be very careful what words we put into God's mouth. We can't just be going along babbling things that we think he might have said. Here's what we know he said. right, so let's get in the book and tether ourselves to this truth because it never fails. 100% of the time, the prophecy in that book comes true. Now, again, I'm not negating the gift of prophecy. I'm just saying be careful. Be careful with it. I think it's a legitimate gift, but I have seen it misused badly. Now, let's talk about visions, dreams. These are also very biblical gifts, okay? Very valid today as well, in my opinion. And so, but I also think they're very misused. But we need to look at Peter. Peter himself had this gift. Peter had uh, dreams. He had visions. We're going to see this in Acts chapter 10, specifically in verses 9 through 16, Okay, but the same could be said for these gifts as well. First, what we do is we test them against the word of God to see whether or not they are true, Acts 17, 11, And then we wait to see if it actually happens. We know this because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13, 8, right? In fact, Malachi said this in, in Malachi 3, 6. He's quoting from the Lord who said, for I am the Lord, I do not change. So therefore, we've got to understand the problem is not with God or his gifts, right? What's the problem? Me, my own understanding, my own misrepresentation of those gifts, my own misuse. That's the problem. Okay? It's not God or the gift. It's those who misuse or misinterpret these gifts. The gifts are valid. And they're very important gifts that are used and should be used for the edification of the body of Christ. And so I'm going to give you an example of how God used one of these gifts, hopefully to edify you in this body. And I'm going to be vague about this. At some point, the Lord may say it's okay to share more about this. But I can tell you, we have had a vision come true in community church. That has happened. One morning during our prayer, Of course, nobody knew this was going on. But the Lord gave a brother a vision. And he told me later that week about the vision that he had had. It was very specific. Later on the following week, I had lunch with somebody that was involved in that vision. And the words he said to me confirmed that vision 100%. And he didn't even know about the vision. I told him about that after the fact. And so, are they legit? yeah they're legit but can they be misused of course they can and so i tell you this to just say hey look we don't have to be scared of them we just need to use discernment and when we see them used then we praise god for that because he uses these gifts among his people for the edification of the body so be edified by that story that i just told you verse 18 And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So look here, the spirit is now being poured out or your translation might say poured forth. What does this tell us? It tells us that just like God, the son who was not created, he was given. So God, the Holy Spirit was also not created, but yet Given or poured out, and so this speaks to the eternal nature of our Triune God. Just as we uh, teach the eternal sonship of Christ, so the Spirit was not created; He always has been and always will be. Our God is eternal. But I want you to notice here that this prophecy is all also a promise. Okay, the word says they shall prophesy, and so again, like I said, there's no reason to be scared of this stuff. We just need to be aware of it. We need to understand it and use discernment. We see this literally come true, by the way, in a a gentleman by the name of Philip, who's an evangelist. He had some daughters, Acts 21. And the word says this in verse nine, this man, meaning Philip, had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So that literally came true in the life of Philip and it's still coming true in the lives of many today. Verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven, heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. So like we've said before, the last days, they cover this unknown amount of time to us anyway. Right. But I, what I believe we see here is a progression. Look at this verse and notice the progression that we see in these verses. God will pour out his spirit. That happened. Sons and daughters will prophesy Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Men servants and maid servants will also prophesy. That is currently happening. All of this is happening in the last days. And then, of course, even the the last days must have an end day, an ending, right? Therefore, I believe what Joel and Peter are both referring to here is the end of the age, starting in verse 19. So you could say it like this in verses 17 and 18. We see the beginning of the church age. This is when the church was born, given birth by the Spirit of God. But then in verse 19, starting in verse 19 and in verse 20, what we're starting to see is the end of that age, okay, if that makes sense. So that's kind of the progression that we see here. There's a lot that's going to happen throughout the course of the last days, right? But when the signs of this age, what are they? Tongues, prophecy, vision, dreams, when those things are taken away with the saints and the rapture, along with, by the way, the Holy Spirit that indwelt them at the end of the age, when that happens, then what's going to be left? Signs in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. So the best way I can know how to explain this to you would be to go back to Daniel chapter 9, specifically verse 26. If you read through that prophecy in Daniel, you're going to notice there is a pause in that. It doesn't say pause here. Right. But there is a pause in that prophetic text. Okay, and it comes between the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 and the tribulation. And that pause is the time we are living in. That is the church age. This is the last days, right? And it falls in between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Again, read all about that in Daniel chapter nine. And so think about it like this. Biblical prophecy is almost like looking over the top of a mountain range. We see the tops of the mountains. We know that they're there. We just don't know exactly how much distance is between each mountain when we're looking at the tops of them, right? So think about biblical prophecy like that. And so this is my opinion. On this text, I think there is an undiscernible gap or amount of time that happens between verse 18 and verse 19, and that distinguishes between the church age and the end of the age. Okay, so that's that's my opinion. Right? It, it's it's worth what you paid for it. So do with it what you want. But regardless of whatever your view is on eschatology, I think one of, one of the things that we get from this text that we all have to agree on is man, look at the grace of God here. Can you see the grace of God just pouring out of the page that he would give us signs to see and and to recognize? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So the word before here is a key word in this passage. But then Peter goes on to to talk about the grace of God and and guys this has been anticipated ever since the time Joel first prophesied these words, okay? So now Peter is going to give them the grace of God right here in verse 21. This is the anticipated text. This is what Joel has been talking about. This is what he has been building up to and this is what the spirit has led Peter to preach about on the day he gave his spirit to the world. Verse 21. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Amen. That's probably familiar words to you if you grew up in the church. But I want to read that again. And I want to read it slow. And I want you to hear from the text of Scripture this morning, like it's the first time you've ever heard it. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, it shall come to pass means that that's going to happen in the last days, the very days that we're living in. That's what that's telling us. That's the prophecy. This is going to happen, right? Now listen to the promise. The prophecy is that it will come to pass. The promise is what's coming to pass. You can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Promise shall be saved. That's the promise of prophecy. Guys, there's going to be a time that is coming. This great and awesome day of the Lord that we read about here. When our fate will be sealed. When that day gets here, our fate will be sealed. There will be no more whosoever will. All right. It's over at that point. Your eternity has been settled. But before that, verse 20, I said before is a key word. Before that, verse 20, there's going to be signs. There's going to be signs. And there's going to be an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ and be saved. And so here's our application. We're almost done. Will I ignore the signs? Okay. The signs are everywhere. What are those signs? The signs have been here all throughout history. Let me give you just a few. We've been given a baby in a manger, haven't we? We've been given a Christ on the cross. You and I, we've been given an empty tomb. And we've been given a risen Savior. In these last days, we've been given the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh. What other signs could I possibly want? What other signs could I possibly be looking for? Now, I know what some of you might be thinking because I thought this too. Well, I mean, Jesus said in Mark 16, 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it, listen to this, except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. And so he left them and departed. He was like, here's your sign. This is your sign. Guys, the sign of Jonah is what I just told you. Christ has come, right? Just like Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish, Jesus Christ was three days in the grave, and then he rose. We've been given the greatest sign of all time. Have we not? Jesus Christ has come. He has laid down his life on a cross for you and for me as payment for our sins. And then he took it up again. Thank you, Lord. He took it up again in the miracle of his resurrection. Why? Why? So that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why. Thank you, Lord. Please don't wait another minute to take Jesus Christ at his word. Take him at his word and call on him to be your Lord and your Savior. I want you to listen to what the Bible says. I want you to hear the beauty and the joy of this passage that I'm about to read, okay? It starts in Psalm 32. It's verses 1 through 5, and it says this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. You can hold up for a minute, Alex. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Don't you want to have your sins forgiven? Blessed is... He whose sin is covered. This is David writing in Psalm chapter 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Covered by what? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's what our sin is covered in. Verse two, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Amen. Happy is the man who has been forgiven and is not charged the sin he has committed. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know how you can forgive someone like me, but you have not imputed iniquity to me. You have given me your righteousness in exchange for my sin. That's what David is saying. Blessed are those whose spirit in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's right. I'm clean. Behold, all things become new to someone who does this. Calls on the name of the Lord and is born again and is saved. Listen to what David was going through. You hear the struggle of a man who is not yet regenerate, but soon will be. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Does anybody remember the conviction on their heart before they said yes to Jesus? Does anybody remember that pressure? Does anybody remember that conviction that they had? I do. I remember the entire week before I finally gave up and confessed my sin and said yes to Jesus. I couldn't lay my head on the pillow without thinking about my eternity. It's like my bones were going old. Why can't I stop thinking about this? Right? Conviction. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit. David said my bones were going old. Groaning. How long? All day long. Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. And that's the one thing I didn't understand. I was like, I'm going mental because I can't think about anything else. In fact, the Lord's hand was heavy on me. That's the conviction. Thank you, Jesus, for your heavy hand of conviction. He says, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Nothing else mattered. And then there's that word, Selah, which means pause and think about it. Man, I thought I had my life figured out. I knew what I was going to be. I was going to be a rock and roll star and all you guys were going to come to my concerts and clap for me. Either that or I was going to play shortstop for the Cardinals. One of the two. (laughs) But when God's heavy hand of conviction came upon me, it was like the drought of summer. None of that mattered anymore. The only thing that mattered was where I was going to spend eternity. That's it. David says, say law, pause and think about that. Where are you going to spend eternity? Where is that? We've talked about this. The the end of the age is coming, right? There will be no more deciding at that point. Your fate will be sealed. So I I would encourage you this morning to do what David does next. Right here, we see it in Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. Amen. He's under conviction. He's under the heavy hand of the Lord. Things aren't seeming right. He can't get these thoughts out of his head. His bones feel like they're growing old. He's groaning all day day long. And day and night, the heavy hand of the Lord is upon him. His vitality has now turned into the drought of summer. He is a mess. What's going on? So David said, I'm going to confess my sins to God. Listen to this. My iniquity I have not hidden. We try to do that I'm good I'm all right everything's fine I don't need Jesus don't call me Lord I'll call you (laughs) David said I'm tired of that I'm not running that race anymore right the heavy hand of the Lord is on me and so I'm going to do something I'm going to acknowledge who I am in light of who he is I am a sinner full stop nothing about me is good It's all sin. That's who I am. And I'm not going to hide that anymore. I'm not going to run around trying to pretend that everything's okay when it's not. I'm a sinner and I'm going to talk to God about it. In fact, I'm going to confess my transgressions to the Lord. What happens? It's beautiful. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Glory to God. I confessed my sin to you, Lord, and you forgave me. And then what does he say? Say law. Pause and think about that. Think about the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Think about the cleansing power of the blood of Christ that now covers my sin for all of eternity. I'm no longer this, quote, sinner in the eyes of God because I am covered in the righteousness of his son, the very one who died for me so that I can now live. When God looks at me, he looks at me through the blood of Christ so he sees his righteousness. I'm covered in that. Glory to God. Why? Because I acknowledged my sin. I acknowledged who I am. Lord, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I am messed up. I'm not hiding that anymore. It's out there. I'm going to confess that to you. And the result of that was forgiveness. Forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Please do not wait for the sun to turn to darkness and the moon to be turned into blood when this age of grace has come to end. It's coming. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So would you do that today? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can start one right now. If you don't know what that looks like, we're going to have a time to respond. And you can come and talk to me. And I would love to pray with you about that. You can pray right right where you're at as well. But don't hide it anymore. Don't hide. Confess. Come out of the darkness and into the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and call on his name and be saved. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the truth of your word that is eternal. In the Psalms, you tell us it has been settled in heaven. And we are thankful for that, Lord. We are grateful that your word is not changing. You are the Lord and you change not and neither does your word. And so we can have full assurance that this morning, if we call on your name, you will save us. That's my prayer today. If there's anyone listening to this message right now that does not have a relationship, if they are not 100% sure that they will spend eternity in heaven, I pray that they would confess their sin to you right now and be saved. That they would call on your name. That they would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sins. And that he rose from the grave so that they could have eternal life in him. I pray that they would believe that with all their heart and never look back. And I pray that you would use us as a church that can disciple them to maturity in Christ. Teach them them about the things of Christ. Teach them the word of God. What a joy that would be. What a blessing to be able to do that. What a joy. What beauty we have in salvation, Lord. Psalm 32 talks all about the joy and beauty we have in Christ. And I thank you so much for all that you've done that we could never do for ourselves. We have no hope apart from Christ, but in Christ we have eternal hope. So thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the invitation to the world to come and drink. Anyone who's thirsty, come and drink of the water of life that will give you eternal life. What a blessing. Would you do that this morning? For the rest of us who are already born again, maybe we have a relationship, but maybe we have been in a dry season. Come to Christ. Come and drink. Come to the water that's everlasting. Give up whatever it is that's been slowing you down in your growth and start living for Christ again. Because he's worthy and he'll provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory. We don't have to look for any more provision than Jesus Christ. Lord, please have your way with us this morning, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.